<laughs> this morning. Uh, we're looking at, at Micah 6, 1 through 8. Uh, Micah 6, 1 through 8. Uh, you'll find the words on the screen behind me if you've got them with you on the screen in front of you, watching online. Um, yeah, before we read them, let's, let's pray again. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Oh God, for, for this book, for, the, for these words, for the wisdom contained in it, thank you, Spirit, for your presence. Uh, we just ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds and help us to uh, help us to know you better, help us to know ourselves better. And uh, through your word, uh, do whatever it is you need to do in us again to make us more like you, Jesus. Amen. Micah 6, 1, 1 through 8. Hear these words. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I, I, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent, I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam, my people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Baor, answered. Remember, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, a calf's calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Oh no, he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. We'll stop there. So, sort of a, for many of us, it's somewhat familiar, especially that last little line. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. It's part of the reason Micah got his name which is pretty cool. You like that? Um, so it's, it's, it's familiar, and it's good, and uh, we'll talk about it in a minute, but first I want to talk about New Year's resolutions. Uh, it's still, it's, it, look, it's still 2024. It's still, we're still trying to get used to it. Can you believe it's 2024? Do you remember when it was 2020? And we were like, oh, everybody in the whole world was like, can this year end? And and then all of a sudden, it's 2024. How is that happening? Uh, anyway, do we have any New Year's resolution type people here? 
How many, do, did any of us make any New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Okay, we've, one? We've got one person committed to getting better. So, so, so okay, I'm not going to ask you what it is, because I think that would be weird. Um, so I, I won't do that. But if you did and you didn't want to admit it, then it probably has some, your New Year's resolution probably has something to do uh, with diet and exercise and losing weight, uh, or perhaps something, uh, you know, mental health related. Uh, anyway, since you, none of you did, this is going to be awkward. Um, <laughs> if you made any resolutions this year, and it's not that I don't believe in you, Jenny, it's not that I don't believe in you, um, but chances are, statistically speaking, you probably already dropped them. I'm not going to ask you if you did or didn't. Um, maybe you celebrated the, uh, the less talked about holidays in January. Uh, last Wednesday, uh, when January 17 is known as uh, National Drop Your Resolutions Day. Did you know that this was a thing? Uh, or perhaps you celebrated uh, you already dropped it by then because on, on the second Friday in January, uh, you celebrated Quitter's Day. Did you know that that was a thing? You can Google these two things. They're, they're actual things. I didn't know this. Uh, now I do. And now you do too. You just learned and you grew as a person because of this information. Um, did you know that only 35% of people make it all the way through January? keeping their New Year's resolutions? Only 35%. Like, aren't they supposed to last the whole year? Only 35% make it through January, right? So I wondered, why are New Year's resolutions so hard? Why are they so hard to keep? So I, I did what you do. I Googled it. And I got some help from betterhelp.com. I wanted that to sound like a commercial, and it kind of did. Um, better, you're familiar with the online therapy um, organization service, betterhelp.com. You hear podcasts are big. They push their stuff on there. Anyway, it's good. So I got some help from betterhelp.com. This is what they said. This is an article that they published, uh, why resolutions are so hard to keep. Here they are. Um, most people set unrealistic goals. Uh, most people have no specific plan to meet those goals. There's a lack of motivation. People set too many resolutions at once. And here's the last one I'll give, I'll give to you. There's a lack of support, a lack of accountability. That's why it's so hard to keep your resolutions. But here's the good news. Betterhelp.com doesn't just leave you there because they want to help you. Hence the name. So they give you some suggestions to sort of help you keep them, your resolutions. Here they are. Set realistic goals. By the way, all of this we could have come up with ourselves if we had just talked about it, but this is fun. Uh, break resolutions down into smaller goals. Create and celebrate milestones. And here's what you do if you're struggling. Reevaluate your goals. Be prepared for setbacks because they're probably going to happen. Seek support. And of course, because it's betterhelp.com, consider therapy. They have to get a commercial in, in their article, right? So resolutions are hard. I think they're hard because change is hard. I think resolutions are hard to keep because transformation, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult thing. But, but I think ultimately resolutions are good. 
I think they're good things. Uh, I think they're good because there's, there's something deep down inside of us that is telling us, you know what, things could be a little better. Like, something's got to change. In Israel, back when Micah wrote these words, yes, yeah, something had to change. They needed something akin to New Year's resolutions. Right? So for them, religion at the time had become sort of uh, all for show. They were just sort of running through the motions, and God wasn't too pleased about it. In fact, in the few words that we read this morning, God is actually filing charges against Israel in the courtroom of creation, right? So God is the judge and jury because God is God. God gets to be the judge and the jury. The prophet Micah, you can think of the prophet Micah as like the district attorney in this courtroom of creation. You can think about uh, the witnesses as being the mountains, the hills, the foundations of the world. So this is like a cosmic deal taking place. God is filing, God of the universe is filing charges against God's people. So start at verse one. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up and plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. And then there are no charges. Like if you read it, there's no, there's no charges. Look at what God doesn't do. God doesn't run down a long list of sins to express Israel's guilt. Isn't that interesting? God's lodging a charge and doesn't list the offenses. God is, I think, maybe working on the assumption that Israel knows what they've done. We all, we all sort of know what, what we've done. And we know from reading the prophets that for some time God has sort of been warning the people to get things together and to sort of keep up their end of this relational agreement called the covenant, uh, but they just wouldn't do it. We know from reading the prophets that the people of Israel continued to worship other gods. They practiced injustice. They performed long, drawn-out rituals and empty rituals that wound up sort of being all for show. We're just going to do this because we have to, right? But God doesn't remind them of any of that stuff, of any of those things, in order to sort of guilt them into a relationship with God. God doesn't seem to work that way, right? Instead, what does God do? God immediately just reminds them of who God is and what God has done for them. Reminds them about how he took them out of captivity in Egypt and freed them from the land of slavery, it says. God reminds them of all the great leaders he's given them. Moses, Aaron, Miriam. God reminds them about how he brought them out into safety of the promised land, filled with all the really, really good things that make for good, happy, flourishing lives. God's been with them, closely watching over them, giving them what they need the entire time, in spite of all the things they've done and all of the messes that they made. That's what God does. And then look how Israel responds. 
right? And I want you to, I tried to read it a little bit with a little bit of sarcasm in my voice because I think that's sort of what's going on here. Someone for the defense stands up and says this, well, with what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You hear it? Right? Whoever this is is sort of standing up and essentially saying, what do you want from us, God? Pfft. What do you want? You want more sacrifices? We could do that. You want more rituals? We got you. You want thousands of rams? 10,000 rivers of oil? You want me to sacrifice? You want us to gauge in, in child sacrifice? We'll do that too. Just don't be mad. And give us what we want. It's pretty absurd. Isn't it? It just sort of reveals how wrong-headed and wrong-hearted the people had, had become. Right? So now Micah stands up in this courtroom and he's like, no, God doesn't want any of that. No, no. All that's just sort of empty ritual to just sort of make yourselves feel better about yourselves. God doesn't want any of that. He's shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. You want to know what God wants? Really? What does the Lord require of you? And then he gives them one of the most pointed and really simple understanding, understandings of God's relationship with God's people found in the entire scriptures. Right? You want some New Year's resolutions? Most of you didn't make them, so here. You want some New Year's resolutions? You want to know how to change your life? You want to know how to transform your life or experience change and transformation? Here are some realistic resolutions to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. It, it sort of reminds me of, of who we say we are called to be, right? Connecting people up with God in with each other and out with the world, act justly in the world, Right? Love, mercy, walk humbly up with God, walk. Right? It sounds cool in Hebrew, so I'm going to give you the Hebrew words. Okay? This also makes me look smart. Let's just be honest about it. There's some ego involved here. Mishpat, Ahav Hesev, and, and Hasenia. Those are, those are the Hebrew words, but they're deep words dripping with meaning. To act justly. Love mercy, walk humbly with God. So let's take these resolutions. I'm, I'm proposing that we make the, these resolutions together as a people. Okay, that's my proposal this morning. So let's take them one at a time. Mishpat, justice, to act justly. Now this is a huge, huge idea. It's big. Justice isn't something that's just taken care of by the police force. Justice isn't something that sort of plays itself out by with lawyers and judges in the court system. No, no, no. Justice is much, much bigger than that. And it's something that we're all involved with every single day of our lives. Most of us sort of have this 
innate sense of justice inside of us. It's just sort of in our bones. Like we, we kind of know it. And we have this innate sense of justice inside of us because we believe that God is a just God and we believe that we've been made in the image of this just God. So most of us can sort of look at the world around us, see how things are going, and we can kind of see the things that, oh, it just, it just isn't right. That's, there's something off there. And when we see something like that, our sense of justice sort of pokes us in the heart. It sort of knocks us on the side of the head, and we think to ourselves, that, that isn't right. So we're going to go through an exercise right now. I'm going to say some things. I'm going to say something that has happened or that sometimes happens in the world and see if, see if you don't feel it inside of you. See if your sense of justice doesn't just sort of stand up and go, hey, that isn't right. All right, here we go. People will start off easy. People hijack airplanes, fly them into buildings, and 3,000 people die. Do you feel that? That, that, that isn't right. right. We hear reports of mass shootings, either here or abroad, and lots of people die. Someone shoots up Perry High School. Sixth grader loses his life. The principal dies. Do you feel that? I just have to say his name and you'll feel it. George Floyd. Do you feel that? Can you see the image in your mind? Can you hear him calling for his mom? I can't breathe. That isn't right. We learn that 30,000 people in the world are dying each day because they don't have enough to eat. That isn't right. We learn that 85% of those 30,000 people that die each day because they don't have enough to eat are children who are five years and under. That isn't right. We're walking through the mall and we see your store and we see three older, bigger boys sort of pushing around a, a, younger, a younger boy using all sorts of profanity and we think to ourselves, do I need to step in there? This isn't right. We could go on and on and on and on. There's this something inside of us. We look at the world and we see something that isn't right. We just know it in our bones. It runs in our veins. What does the Lord require of us? To act justly, to pay attention to those knocks on the side of the head, the, the sort of poke at our heart, those times in which we look at the world and we say, that isn't right. What does the Lord require of us? to act justly. And it's not just about being a good person is always doing the right thing. It's that and then some. It's paying attention to what's happening in the world all around us and in our community and the systems that are behind it all. And then intentionally working on behalf of those in the world who are being treated unjustly. Working on behalf of them, working with God 
to set the world right. That's what mishpat is, making sure that everybody has what they need to live full, happy, healthy, flourishing lives. That's mishpat. Are you engaged in mishpat? Are there ways in which this community, Renew, can better be engaged in mishpat in this community, within the city of Ames and beyond. I think that's a worthy resolution. Let's do some mishpat together. Let's be serious about it. Here's the next thing. Ahav has said, love, mercy. If we're going to act justly, then we need to love mercy. I think this is cool. So in Hebrew, the word ahav is used to describe a sort of a committed love, an intentional committed love, the kind of love between spouses, the kind of love between parents and children, the kind of love between family. It's a, it's a passionate, unbreakable kind of love, unquestionable. The word hesed is another kind of love. So you could translate it, love, love. But often it's love, mercy. It's the kind of love that God has for his people. So hesed is the mercy of God, the love of God that makes a community out of separate people, separate beings. Passionately loving, ahav, the love of God, the mercy of God, hesed is what keeps community together. To, sim- to say it simply, passionately loving the community that God has created. Show the same kind of love and commitment to this community and the people in it that we show to our spouses, that we show to our children, that we show to our family. You know, there's a reason, I think, when we read Paul's letters, he keeps using, he keeps using the phrase that gets translated as brothers and sisters. I think, I think there's a reason he does that. In all the letters that he writes, keeps using brothers and sisters, this phrase that we can translate as siblings. Have you thought about that? I think, he, I think he uses that because he means it. Family, brothers, sisters, siblings, bonded by blood relatives, bonded bonded by Jesus' sacrifice. You know what that means? It means I got to love you like I love my own sister, like I love my own brother, Abby and Andy. I got to love you like I love them. You know what that means? It means I got to love you like I love my mom and dad. You know what that means? This is a hard one. You got to love me like I'm your brother. We got to love each other like we're family. Every time we get together, it's like a family get together that we wouldn't, we wouldn't dream of missing. That's a different way of thinking about church, isn't it? We're family. Ahav has said, love mercy. That's a resolution worth making, isn't it? How can you begin expressing that kind of love here? In this community, your extended blood relatives, your family. Last resolution, the thing that sort of holds it all together, 
walk humbly, to live each day with an attitude of humility, hasenia, a humble walk. Oh, the world needs a whole load of this now, doesn't it? A humble walk is an invitation for, for us to lose ourselves in a relationship with the divine, with God. Forever keeping our eyes, being intentional about keeping our eyes on the creator of the universe, reminding ourselves who we belong to. If we keep our eyes on the creator of the universe for guidance and direction, then guess what? Mishpat, Ahav said, those things just sort of come naturally. If there's an attitude of humility, Hasenia, then I think Mishpat and Ahav said just sort of follows. And none of that's for show. It's real. It's deep. It's transforming. So how about we do that together? How about we make the, these our, our New Year's resolutions? I mean, quitting time is already, it's past, so now we can't quit because those holidays are done. So I know it's a little late. We're nearing, we're three weeks into January, but it's never too late to make changes that you need to make, right? It's never too late to intentionally live into the kind of transformation that, that God that God wants for us. So let's commit to it, right? Let's act justly. Let's love mercy. Let's walk humbly with God. And let's do it together. Let's pray.